0: Ink and Quill, illuminates on literature, culture and beyond. That's cool, isn't it? Listen to the sound of some incredible readings. The Great Wall story is the story of the relationship.
1: The imagery in China is so strong. It's
0: a book about the human story. Ink and Quill, something provoking. We have to think like a queen. Something thoughtful. History's fantasy, really. Something fun. See some naughty people trying to steal panda cubs. All here on Ink and Quill.
2: Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favourite authors. This is in I'm your host, Yang Yong. For book lovers in China, the annual Australian Writers' Week is one of the most anticipated events of the year. From panel discussions to reading events, it is a chance for Chinese literary fanatics to rub shoulders with some of Australia's best authors. The recently concluded 2017 Australian Writers' Week was no exception. From Indigenous children's author and illustrator Bronwyn Bancroft,
3: My dad's Aboriginal and my mum's Polish and Scottish, so at the end of the day I've been brought up as bicultural, so I think I have a very different take on Australia as
2: opposed to people that emigrated there. To John Marston, Australia's keen of young adult fiction.
0: A lot of young people are experiencing lives of great difficulty, and if we give them nothing but uh, lightweight, superficial, and shallow books, we're not helping them to confront the real issues that they have to face.
2: This week long celebration gathered a stellar lineup of literary heavyweights to catch up with all of the exciting happenings during the event. Let's listen to the conversation between our reporter Shi Yu and Geraldine Brooks, whose novel March won the 2006 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. You started your career as a journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald*
1: back in the 1980s, and then you started as a foreign correspondent for the Washington Street Journal. Mm -hmm. But almost two decades ago, you started to venture from news
3: writing to fiction writing. That's right. So I'm curious about what fueled that transition. When my son was born, uh, not too long after that, I I realized that it wasn't really compatible with being a foreign correspondent, having an infant. And I thought about um, an idea that had taken root in my imagination, the true story of a town in England where bubonic plague had come, and the villagers took the unique decision. uh, Instead of fleeing to try and save their own life, they quarantined themselves voluntarily. And I'd been really, um, from the time I stumbled on that story when I was hiking in the Peak District in England, I was fascinated by it and so I sat down to try and imagine what that year was like in that village and that became my first novel. Year of Wonders. Year of Wonders,
1: yes. yes. It's so interesting because from Year of Wonders to your latest book, Secret of Court. Yeah. And I remember it's set in... It's the second Iron
3: Age, it's a very long time ago.
1: <laughs> <So I'm laughs> I'm so surprised because a lot of journalists turned writers, Mm -hmm. they tend to draw inspirations from their own experience as reporters. But all your novels are rooted in history and it's not more than past.
3: Really distant. Sometimes history. it's very distant. I'm not sure I'm going to rush back into uh, pre written history again. That was very difficult to research that time period because you're in a time when you're not sure if you're talking about history or mythology, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, I d- do think that I'm drawing on my own experience, even when you write on a very distant time like that. I found that in thinking about the story in Secret Court is about King David, yes. and to describe a battle, I found myself thinking of the battlefields that I reported on in the Middle East, because even though the weapons are different. The tactics are not so different and the effect on the human body is not different. You know, the corpses on a battlefield the emotional impact is the same and also you know a lot of the story of David is his relationship with women mm-hmm. and this is a society where women had no public power
1: yes.
3: and even though they have no public power it doesn't mean they don't have any influence yes. and I learned a lot about private power as a correspondent so I use those lessons even in a story set so long ago So history serves as a vehicle? Right? I, f- I find that I'm just drawn to stories where you can't know everything if you could know everything then you could write a narrative history Mm. but there's stories from the past that are intriguing, like in Year of Wonders the villagers were mostly illiterate, they were lead miners and shepherds, so they never got to set down an account of what it felt like to take this momentous decision of self-sacrifice so you can only engage with that material by imagining what it was like to be them but during the writing,
1: was imagination or research more involved?
3: Both. So I like, as a, as a former reporter, I like to find out as much as I can. I like to sort of follow the, the line of fact as far as it leads. And it's only at that point where you can't know that I like to take that swan dive into the imagination and say, well, maybe it was like this. This is one plausible possibility. When I read your books,
1: I'm really amazed by the vast spectrum of your topics because in March, now we have American Civil War and slavery, and in keep of the book, we kind of follow this amazing journey of one of the Jewish most treasured manuscripts. Mm. It's very diverse and multi-layered, so yeah. I'm curious about how did you pick up those topics or just some random whimsical ideas constantly pop up in your mind?
3: They. Ideas find me. It's interesting, you know, every single book has a story about how I got that idea, you know, and so with the Sarajevo Hagada, it was, the people of the book is based on the true story of this I- illustrated Hebrew manuscript that was created in Spain mm-hmm. in the 1400s and it survives until today because it's been rescued time after time yeah and i've heard about it when i was reporting in sarajevo during Mm -hmm. the war Mm -hmm. and uh at that time the hergada was missing from the museum and nobody knew what had happened to it Mm -hmm. and i became intrigued with it and then i learned you know how it had been rescued from the nazis by Uh. a muslim librarian Mm -hmm. and by a Catholic priest during the uh, in 1609 in Venice and I just became intrigued by these rescues and when it turned out that it had been once again rescued by Muslim hands, this Jewish book, mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is a wonderful story for me and I researched as much as I could but about the origins of the book we know nothing. so there's a lot of room for imagination as well yeah. I find it interesting because,
1: I talked to some historical novel writers, mm-hmm. and one of the challenges they say is you have to keep the authenticity of history, mm-hmm. but you need to make the content appealing to readers mm-hmm. of today. Yeah. So, what's your secret recipe Se- <laughs> Se-
3: you know, yeah. to keep them relevant? And I think, it, to me, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that you have to ask yourself the question, are human beings more the same Or more different over time Mm. and I think if you believe that we don't change in our essential nature then it's much easier to connect with people from the past if you think that people experienced love in the same way that we experience it hate in the same way as we experience it Um, the lust for power the corruptions of power I don't think these things change so much so you can change the furniture Mm-hmm. But the human heart is always the same. Yeah. And as you mentioned in Secret code, mm-hmm. around the
1: time women didn't get enough mm-hmm. ink, you know, yeah. in, in Old Testament no, and all that. Yeah. But in your book, you know, like Secret Accord, like a uh, K-lapse crossing, yeah. you also write about women and mm-hmm. their either didn't exist in history. or. Well, I didn't have a voice. Yeah, did you find it challenging to write that aspect?
3: So, in my first book, uh, the narrator is a young woman in the village of the bubonic plague in Year of Wonders, and uh, she is mentioned by one of the few literate people in the town who was the the minister, the religious minister, Mm -hmm. and he talks about his maid and how she didn't succumb to the plague and how that allowed him to keep going because she was doing everything for him and I thought well who was she and of course there's nothing on the historical record about her not even a name So I started to think how can I hear the voice of somebody like that and I found something that's been useful to me ever since which is the one place you can hear women speaking in their own words is in court. Women were being arrested, you know, for being a witch or for being a scold and if the courts took verbatim testimony of the evidence you can hear women expressing themselves and they're ferociously angry. Yeah. and you know they understand that they are getting a very bad deal and some critics have said my my women are too modern they sound like modern feminists yeah I guess something like that but actually if you go back and read the court transcripts we're not the first women in history that realized we were getting a bad deal so actually actually they were feminists <laughs> back yeah. then well they were they wouldn't have used the word but you know they realized that it was an oppressive patriarchal system yeah? Yeah. But you're
1: not writing about women. Some of your major protagonists are men.
3: Yeah, uh, because. Like so March, like. Yeah, so I wanted to write about, in that, the real theme of that book is what happens to an idealist at war. Mm-hmm. Someone goes to war for. Um, because they believe profoundly in a moral cause like anti slavery. But war always causes people to do immoral acts. So what happens to idealists when they go to war? And of course, the only vehicle to tell that story is through a man. So I was stuck with Mr. March.
1: <laughs> As a female writer, writing about men mm. and, and speak through their voice, yeah. sometimes I find it is...
3: Different. Well, it's easier because men left more written records, so we, you know, I mean, that was ridiculously easy because I was basing my character on Bronson Alcott, who is mm-hmm. the father of Louisa May Alcott, and he was a radical educator and an anti-slavery activist, mm-hmm. and he kept a journal, and he had a famous correspondence with all the leading intellectuals of his day, so I had a ton of written material to help me hear his voice, much more than I would have for a woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) It just strikes
1: me that you're talking about those source materials. None of them are actually about Australia,
3: right? So this is, I did start to write a novel about Australia and i had to give it up because i found that there was actually too much on the record about the character that i wanted to write about she had kept a journal so there was no room for imagination in 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 that story uh and i have another idea for an australian novel so i'm going to go back and try and do that but uh, for me it's important that there is a missing piece that there's some room for the imagination to work and white australian history the anglo-saxon immigration Mm -hmm. australian history it's almost too recent for me and also to be honest i think that sometimes it's easier to you know how uh, you're at somebody's house and you want to look in their closets it's easier to poke (laughs) around in somebody else's closet than it is to clean out your own closet right (laughs) so i feel all kinds of um guilt and responsibility about Australian history that I don't have to feel about United States or uh, England. I see your point. <laughs> but
1: last year, last year you award Order of Australia. Yes. Congratulations.
3: Thank you very
1: much. But I remember during one of your interviews around the no. time, you said, your novels are essentially Australian. They are. They're, what they're, is
3: that? Because they're based on some very fundamental Australian values, which is an interest in the underdog story who is the one who is oppressed in this story Mm -hmm. Uh, and a a certain openness to the world I think you know I wouldn't write these books if I hadn't grown up in an incredibly uh, immigrant neighborhood was like living in the United Nations everybody on my street was from a different country with a different history Mm -hmm. and it was such a safe Wonderful childhood, Mm -hmm. but gradually as I was uh, 10 and 11 and I was learning my neighbor's stories I realized that the rest of the world wasn't like that, you Mm -hmm. know that people had come to Australia because they were fleeing War or poverty or oppression and they'd taken big risks in their lives And so that really opened my eyes to the world and I'm still wide-eyed about the
2: world I think that was Shi Yu talking to award-winning author Geraldine Brooks. What else happened during the Australian Writers' Week in China? We will be back after the break.
0: Explore the life of great wordsmiths, share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers.
2: listening to Ink and Quill, I'm your host Yang Yong. In 1993, Steven Spielberg's film Shindler's List hit movie theatres. Once released, this historical drama became a global sensation. Capturing the soul disturbing terror of the Holocaust while demonstrating the power of the human spirit, this emotionally intense movie won seven Oscars. But Just like many great motion pictures of our time, this cinematic masterpiece is actually based on a book. Originally titled Schindler's Ark, the book is a Man Booker Prize winning novel written by Austrian author Thomas Keneally.
4: I was always interested in the Holocaust because I knew that it was in Western, well, particularly Eastern and Central Europe very anti-semitic, meeting Poldeck, my friend. I could not see what it was about him that made apparently intelligent central Europeans, Germans and Poles think that he had to be exterminated mm-hmm. and even the Poles were exterminated because they were considered Slavs and a lower form of life, you know. now. Such an endeavour to kill all these people by technological means just seemed ridiculous. But I had to work out why it happened and how would I, if I'd been conditioned to believe that, how would I have reacted?
2: Born in Sydney in 1935, Thomas Keneally is one of the brightest stars in the world literature community. In more than half a century, this prolific and diligent writer has published more than 50 books. The first Australian to win the Booker Prize, he is also a two-time winner of the Miles Franklin Award, Australia's top literary prize. Among all the works of Keneally, *Shingle's Ark is no doubt the most well-known. Yet, few know that the author stumbled into the story because he wanted to buy a new briefcase. On a hot autumn day in 1980, Kinnearly wandered into a small handbag shop in California. There, the then 45 year old bumped into the shop owner Leopold Page, a hot to survivor whose close friends knew him as Portdeck. Eager to make a film about the man who saved his life, this Polish American shared with Keneally the story of Oskar Schindler and convinced him to put pen to paper. The pair travelled around the world to talk to people who knew or were saved by Schindler.
4: Paul a survivor was with me the whole time. He's a pain in the neck, but he was both a wonderful human and essential. He knew it was the ultimate story of humanity, as he used to say, humanity, man to man. And he was my entree to all these people who gave me interviews and documents. And without him, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Because I was a Gentile, as non-Jewish. I came from Sydney, Australia. Therefore, I began to feel I was Jewish from mixing with these people.
2: In 1982, Keneally's documentary-like novel came into being and won the prestigious Man Booker Prize. Nine years later, Paul Deck's dream came true as the tale of his saviour finally hit the silver screen. I
4: could have got more I could have got more. I don't know if I just...
2: In the eyes of Thomas Keneally, compared with the image portrayed in the movie, the real Oscar Schindler was a paradox.
4: I knew there were too many subplots in the book to make it into the movie and I knew that movie would have to have a simpler line of narration and it does the only thing I disagree with is when Schindler says in that tear-jerker moment I could have sold this badge I could have sold the Mercedes I could have sold and saved more in fact he's factory was at capacity and he could not have had any more in there without the SS closing it down he already had was under suspicion in the movie you can say show that he didn't make a single cell in his shell factory but the reason was you can tell in the book you've got room to tell because he was making so much money on the black market and he does sincerely desired to be rich. He was only became rich in that turbulent, upside-down time in Poland and Czechoslovakia. That makes him interesting too.
2: Despite the discrepancy between history and fiction, the movie Schindler's List has received numerous accolades, which also helps its source material gain wider recognition. But Thomas Keneally didn't rest on his laurels. From The People's Train to Three Famines, many of his other works are also about race, historical conflicts and calamity.
4: I've got a few books that deal with East Africa. I've got a few books that deal with the Irish famine, which was a great calamity. Sadly, I don't know what it says about me psychiatrically, but perhaps I've got an interest in catastrophes. Australia is so safe and this is the problem. We all want to live somewhere like Australia that's pretty safe but we are aware of what the ancestors went through. I think ancestor worship is the uh, truest religion of humankind and be more ancestor veneration for what they went through. And sometimes I've written books about ethnic groups in Australia who come from terrible places, that uh, tension fascinates me, uh, that tension between the safe life and the dangerous world.
2: The desire to poke into the chaotic past of human history has driven Thomas Keneally to write more. From an Antarctic expedition to the life of Joan of Arc, the author has never confined his writings within the border of his native Australia. When being asked why he chooses such diverse topics to explore, he answers
4: Well, I tell you what, the whole world is connected.
2: His longing to bridge different cultures has also fueled his interest in China. In 1979, Thomas Keneally was among the earliest batch of Australian delegates to visit the Middle Kingdom.
4: When Australia opened diplomatic relations with China, I had the honour of being on the Australia-China Council and we were appointed by government and we came here and um, organized academic exchanges. We even tried to get a film off the ground. We went out to the uh, Entomb Warriors and I believe we were the first country to organize a tour of the Entomb Warriors about 1981, 1982. We uh, were involved in initiating Uh, the helping initiate the China daily.
2: Since then, he has come back to China a number of times. Though the film he wanted to make about Chinese immigrants in Australia has never quite taken shape, this official Australian living treasure is determined to push the bilateral relations further.
4: As an Australian, Australians are fascinated with two countries, Mm -hmm. America and our alliance with them, and China and our need of China and, you know, I hope the need morphs into an understanding and uh, I think it's on the way.
2: That was our report on Australian multi-award winning author Thomas Keneally. On that note, it's time to wrap up today's programme. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world, and we will keep you posted. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account, China Plus, or download our podcast by searching the keyword, "ink and Quill, on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Yang Yong. See you next week.
0: Snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture, and writers in China and around the globe.